Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here with The Pure Now Show. This is episode number 32. My guest today is Nick Lyons. Nick is a freelance art director and senior motion designer at Nick Lyons LTD. He's originally from Southern California, but made his way over to the UK and had the honor of helping bring together the show graphics for Justin Bieber's Justice Tour in 2022. Here we go. Hey, Nick. Hey, Mark. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure to have you, of course. Thanks so much for spending some time to be on the Pure Now Show. Really appreciate it. Absolutely, absolutely. So you are in the UK now, correct? Yeah, I'm an American living in the UK. So I, uh, I've been out here for about eight years now. And yeah, moved over from LA before that. And yeah, I've been out here in the UK and nice and, uh, nice and rainy today. So pretty typical. <laughs> so LA, I mean, that's where I'm from too. Okay. Uh, what made you, what was the opportunity that got you to, you know, cross the seas and leave the comfort of California? <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I grew up in California originally, and the funny thing here is, is that every time I tell someone I'm from California, they're always like, why did you leave? Why did you leave? And, uh, and I, I love California, my whole family's there, but uh, I, I think after living in LA for a couple of years, I, I really liked it, but I had an opportunity to work abroad, and... I figured, you know, I'd maybe be out there for a year in London, just, you know, travel a little bit, take some cheap flights to Amsterdam, maybe go to Prague or something. And, and yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the, the lifestyle and kind of the, the mindset. And also I found the work to be quite varied as well. You know, it just, uh, the British never take anything super seriously in terms of what they show online you know their their broadcast um broadcast uh film work it's always it depends like what you're looking at but the bbc is always very open to different different kind of ideas and techniques and, and approaches and i feel like yeah it, it was cool kind of coming out here and, and getting to work at a i worked at territory studio for four years when i first moved out here and that was yeah a great experience kind of working with British brands and, and worldwide brands, really. Too. So let's go backwards in time. I, and by the way, I've seen your work. For instance, I just saw Big Day Out, which is super fun. I love that oh, track, thanks. Staying Alive. Of course, I'm a big BG fan. <laughs> I love that the smoke was going in time with the song and uh, the animation is really quite beautiful. Oh, thank you. And rich. And uh, it's, a, it's a really lovely project. Let's talk about you growing up in uh, California. Where did you grow up in California? Sacramento. Yeah. Okay. So I grew up in Sacramento and I grew up to a family of teachers. So my uh, my parents were our teachers. I'm, I'm pretty much surrounded by them now. My wife's a teacher, my sister's a teacher. And yeah, I grew up in Sacramento, never really thinking of entering the creative fields. Like it just never was like a Creativity was just something that other people seemed to have and you know, we you know We liked drawing and kind of playing music and stuff like that But it never really dawned on us that dawned on me that eventually I would be in the creative field You know, I used to play sports growing up So when you were growing up you were either like a creative kid or a jock or like a punk or whatever like you you kind of like were in these little um, these little 
sections in a in class, and I I was just never part of that creative bit. But yeah, over time, I, I went to uh, I went to school at Berkeley, and I uh, was on the rowing team there for four years. And uh, from there, I went off to San Francisco to work after Berkeley, and I worked at a summer camp company. So they did. Uh, it was kind of my like trying to figure out what I wanted to do in life kind of thing. And the people that were working there were really cool. And they were the one of the owners of the company was a life coach. So she'd always sit down and be like, "What what are you interested in doing? Like, what do you want to do within the company?" And and I ended up directing a one of the summer camps there which was for like the middle school age kids so they were like you know between eight to 16 years old and uh, the camp that I was working with was focused on kind of like digital filmmaking so it was it was like claymation animation editing yeah it was um, it was never really something that I, I'd done before but my time there was was very influential in the kind of the work that I do now because uh, at one at one point at the end of the season, uh, the owners asked if we would have a film festival at the Exploratorium in San Francisco, and I was like, oh yeah, sounds like a good idea. And and they didn't ask me at the time, but I thought you know you kind of need like a bit of a branding package for this. I didn't you know didn't know what it was called, didn't had no idea what a branding package was, but I was like you know it'd be kind of cool to like have something that kind of ties all this, the awards together for this animation show for these kids. And, you know, I was in Sony Vegas at the time and I had no, I'd never heard of After Effects or, you know, any of these other like 3D programs or anything like that. And, and I just sat down and I, and the time just kind of flew by. Like I, I love doing it and it was the most ridiculous animations. Like it's just kind of like very kitsch, like kind of funny, like, um, very minimal stuff that you can only really do in Sony Vegas. But I had such a great time doing that. And from there, my roommate, uh, his brother went to Savannah College of Art and Design. And I was like, oh, interesting. Like, I wonder if, I didn't really know like what I, what I was doing was called. I didn't know it was called like motion design or motion graphics or anything like that. So uh, I talked to his brother a little bit and found out there was a motion design program at SCAD in Savannah, Savannah College of Art and Design. and. And yeah, I, I applied for the master's program with no experience, but, and they said that I needed to create a portfolio and it was like May and I wanted to go to school there in, in September. So I, I sat down at the computer and I, I took a Linda tutorial on how to learn After Effects. And yeah, I had, I had an amazing time. Like I was blown away, like puppet tool. Wow. You could you can animate stuff with a puppet tool. Like it, I'd never even heard of that before. It was so much more advanced than my work in Sony Vegas that it was a, it was a pretty cool experience. So I put that together. I made my application in June and I got in and yeah, it was one of the most exciting, like focused times of my life being in Savannah. Cause it was such a, I just felt like I needed to be there. Like I changed careers at 25. Like I didn't, didn't have a second thought about it really. I just, I just, I never even thought about if I would fail or not. It was just something that I felt like I, I needed to do. Like I, I just, I just left and did it. I still, I was thinking about this the other day and uh, I just can't, I just can't believe I did it. You know, I just can't believe I, I took the leap and did it. Cause I, you know, you take on student loans to go to art school and stuff like that. And, 
And it was, uh, yeah, it turned out to be a great experience after all. So, yeah. Well, what was your previous vocation? What were you doing before you, you know, changed it up? Yeah, I was a, I was a history major coming out of Berkeley and I was heading on the, uh, the teaching path like my parents. And I thought, you know, I'll be a teacher. Like, I, I, that's what I know, that's what I'm used to. Like, it's a good, it's a good job to have. But I was kind of trying to figure out if there was something else, uh, something else other than teaching along the way. So history is quite a broad, you know, it's a broad subject. So you can like, there's no, unless you're gonna go back into teaching or become like a historian or work with like a, a national trust of some sort, there's not, you kind of have to figure out, you know, sell yourself a bit to get jobs with that kind of, uh, that kind of uh, degree. So it, it was all a bit open, but I thought that, um, yeah, I used to make video game animations for video games I used to play when I was a teenager as well. So that was kind of fueled it a little bit. But yeah, I didn't, I thought I would go into business of some sort or like, you know, when you're a kid, you, you think, oh, these are like the careers that you can pick from. You never really think about all these digital ones that kind of popped up over the last 10 to 15 years. So I had no, no clue that animation was really for me. Like I didn't, I never really thought I want to be an, a, a Pixar animator. I didn't want to work at Disney. Like or I did, I did want to work at Disney, but I didn't want to do cell animation. Like these were a lot of things. There are a lot of things that didn't seem obvious to me at first. So motion design was, was perfect because it's kind of everything else. You know, it's, it's all the, you know, great looking uh, graphic, graphic design and typography. And now it's like, 3D and pretty much anything you can think of now. So it's quite a multifaceted career. So it, it never feels boring and you never feel kind of like squished into a little corner, which is quite nice. So, yeah. So you did draw as a, as a kid? You did kind of exercise some of your creativity? Not much, really. I, I took, uh, I really enjoyed art, the art classes. And then there was like this, there was like this fourth grade year where I think, I forget what the instructor said, but there, there was like, she didn't understand what I drew. And there was kind of this moment of like, oh, am I not good at this? Maybe this isn't like where I want to take, maybe maybe art isn't, isn't as experimental and fun as I thought it would be. So yeah, art was never a huge, like we drew and stuff, but I never really drew well. I played a lot of musical instruments. I played guitar and, clarinet and all that stuff yeah it was I, I I think I just enjoyed being on the computer and working in these programs and that was kind of yeah kind of a where I, where I wanted to be I guess and it was a strange it was a strange kind of position because I, I love being outside and I love the outdoors but I also love working on the computer so I find it very strange like the my interests sometimes because they kind of seem at odds I guess on a at a surface level, but they kind of both uh, feed each other as well, which is which is quite nice. So, yeah. Well, you have the juxtaposition of polar opposites, which actually probably balance you out. Yeah. Because you need to get outside. Totally. I mean, you're on that box all day. <laughs> yeah. And you need to get outside just for your own human sanity, I would imagine. Yeah. And have leveraged that love of outdoors to keep your life in check. Yeah, and I I totally agree because. Uh, when I first started in the industry in LA, I was working at Blur Studio and they were the first 
was my first kind of foray into the animation industry, which was an amazing place to be at because, you know, you're just around the, some of the best people, well, the best people in the world, really, uh, for high-end visual effects and, like, video game trailers and animation. So when I first started in L.A., I was really, I really wanted to do a great job. Like, I, I my goal for, after leaving SCAD was to work at the best place possible. Like, I, I just knew that if I was surrounding myself with the best people and being, like, the worst person in the room, then I would learn so much more than being like the best person at like a, a smaller company. So it was it was such a great experience being at Blur and working with, um, I worked with um, in the motion design department and there was such a, a buzz about the place. And I just wanted to focus there and to become the best artist I could be. So it required a lot of hours and it didn't really, it wasn't, I w- they weren't asking me to spend time to, uh, to stay late all the time, but I really wanted to improve. And so after months and months and months of that, you kind of start to need like a, another outlet. So I found cycling and cycling was like my, is like my meditative kind of work things out a little bit, be outdoors and kind of, yeah, kind of sort, sort my thoughts out a bit. And I found that I could work really hard during the week and then kind of get it all out on the weekends a little bit. And that was really helpful because when you're working on, I found that when I was in London working on, you know, films and big projects, people are asking a lot of you. And especially when you're working with like really big clients, they have very high expectations. So if you don't take care of yourself, uh, you burn out and people talk about it all the time. You always hear about burnout and stuff like that, but you just have to take care of yourself and know like boundaries and like what you you're capable of. Cause everyone kind of has different amounts, but yeah, I felt like, um, I learned that early on is what, how much I could kind of take and then how much I needed to kind of give myself back. And, and they were super supportive about, yeah, this, they, they wanted me to be like one of their, uh, <laughs> like run weekend excursions with some other people on the, at the studio and, and they were trying to get me to like, yeah, take people out and, and kind of get them out and to kind of refocus them as well. And it really helps. So yeah, I felt like that kind of balance was, is, is really important in life, but also in the creative industry as well. You're listening to the pure now show, a creative podcast for creatives presented by balance. Well, that's a common thing, especially cycling, I think, uh, amongst uh, especially male creative professionals seems to be like the go to thing. It is like you said, it's a very Zen experience. You can kind of get inside your head and get rid of everything in your purview. I mean, you're you're on automatic when you're doing that thing. Uh, Even our director of the show here, Dong, he's a huge uh, cycling enthusiast. And yeah, uh, it seems like like the perfect diversion to getting this physical exertion because there's not much physical exertion other than spending mega hours in investing in these projects, but you're pretty sedentary and you're just yeah, kind yeah. of sitting and staring most of the day. Yeah, yeah. And not that you're not engrossed in what you're doing, but you know, it's not very active. Uh, yeah. It's mentally active, but it's not very physically active. So yeah. it's cool that you found that and that you've, uh, you've created this you know, this part of your life that gives you what you need so you can do 
and be more effective in your professional life. I mean, there, yeah. there's no, life is life. There is no professional life in life. There's yeah. just life and you do different things at different times of the day, depending on, you know, what you've set up for yourself. Absolutely. But, uh, and and I, I think you're totally right. And that's, uh, I think the longer I've been doing this, the more like the more people that I've worked with are doing you know side kind of activities just because you need the you need to kind of feed your feed other parts of yourself as well because I think as we all learned over lockdown that if you're you have like lots of time to spend to uh, sit in front of the computer and animate or to create but you're not always inspired by just being in front of the computer and I think going outside and you know, the commute or the going for a bike ride or a walk or something like that. It helps kind of formulate ideas and just having that downtime really helps. And that's kind of, that's actually how I created Big Day Out was my my first kind of, uh, <laughs> my first kind of personal project. And since I, I became professional because it was something that I was missing over lockdown. You know, I was really wanting to, go outside, go to these places in Scotland and uh, be outdoors. And I was just trying to figure out a way to create a story out of that somehow and make it a bit kind of fun and weird at the same time. Like I just, it was totally for myself. Like I I really enjoyed making it and I, I didn't entirely mind what people, I obviously you want people to like it, of course, but um, it was very much like it kind of, it fed me mentally to, to build it. So it was, it was quite a helpful exercise, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, it was a cool projection of your internal feelings and, and what you were missing. And, and, and maybe some of that, you know, some of our pain and suffering actually converts very nicely into art. And maybe some of the best things that we do, uh, channeling emotions as a human being into ways that not everybody can do. But those who can, others can appreciate that. I mean, I know you make that for yourself. We all make art mostly for ourselves. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, we're all obviously getting paid by clients to produce projects and things of that nature. But um, that specifically shows uh, that it was really important to you. Yeah. You could see it. You could feel it in the work, how important it was to you. Yeah. I, I think I thought that since I left London, I started working a lot more for... Um, doing like concert visuals and kind of museum work and installation work. And I thought throwing a track behind it was a, kind of fun to have some synchronicity with the music a little bit with the, with what the guy was doing as he was you know dancing through the, the landscapes. And I really, I find that I love music as well. And that like the fact that I can get to work with different artists and create work for uh, for co like concert visuals is a uh, is really cool because I've I've loved music I've loved history my whole life and there's certain projects out there like uh, I did a project for um, uh, it's green it's called Greenwood Rising and it was for uh, one of the museums in Tulsa Oklahoma about the there was like this huge uh, massacre in like the 1920s and it was like a race related massacre and it was I I'm in the UK but. I work with American clients, so I had the chance to kind of marry the love of history and my love of animation together. So I was having a chance to, you know, work on 
kind of these wild west scenes and like building up these little shanty towns and it was all kind of very stylized at the same time but it was it was cool because it, it was probably one of the more personal uh like client projects i had the chance to work on i don't, I don't feel like every project you get the chance to do something that really speaks to you so every once in a while like there's a chance and i found like that was one of my favorite projects over the last couple of years to get a chance to work on just because it took uh different aspects of my life and merged them together a little bit so did you get to work with justin bieber directly <laughs> no i uh it, it's funny because like uh i i always when I tell people I've worked with, on Justin Bieber's concerts, I um, it's usually a funny kind of a mixed reaction. Uh, generally, it depends on like the age of who I'm telling it to. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I never met him. But I yeah, in the concert visual industry, like to do concert visuals and get paid for it, you work with the you need to work with like the biggest names out there. So you work with like Lady Gaga or Kanye West or Guns N' Roses or something like that. Turns out I really actually like his music. Like I, I worked on a few of his worked on a few of his songs and my wife would come home and I'm like pumping sorry in the background and like just like on repeat listening to it because uh you know you're animating to it. But it, I never got really got tired of it. Like it's it's quite all of his music's quite catchy and and I think the cool thing about uh, working with concert visuals is that no one ever seems to be super precious about it. Like you're not, it's not like a board of directors that has to sign off, you know, what's happening for a song for a tour that's going to last like a few months. Like it's usually one guy and they're always cool with it being a bit out there or a bit abstract or, you know, what do you want to do with it? Well, we can maybe try this. So it's it's always kind of an open forum, which I really like. And I think the fact that I get paid for working on vi visuals like that is 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 pretty cool because I probably would want to do that in my spare time if I didn't have the chance to do that um, outside of like commercial work. But yeah, it's a it's pretty cool um, industry to be a part of in a small way. Well, it's a nice tie-in since you love the music scene and you like music. I mean, what's what perfect marriage could you have that you're providing some kick-ass visuals for some of the top, you know, performers in the world? Yeah, it's, yeah. Not I, a bad gig. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I, I, I um, before lockdown, well, just before lockdown happened, I was working with a company in London called Creative Works and we were doing work for Guns N' Roses and that's kind of like what they do with them. And... I, I love kind of that like 80s, well, I love like 80s hair metal and stuff. I don't like, I'll listen to it. I quite like it. And then, but obviously the, um, yeah, working on Guns N' Roses is such an iconic band that it was cool just getting a chance to go and, uh, and work with this band. And I went on a shoot in London and there was like, you know, all these scantily clad women and you're like filming it for a day and it's, you're, you do it. It's like very rock and roll, you know, you're like, I feel I'm just kind of this guy that's on a computer, but I feel like I'm immersing, immersing, immersing myself in this kind of other industry that is, is very different from mine. <laughs> so yeah, it was a, uh, it was quite an interesting experience and, you know, getting to work with people who work in like notch and, and, working at starting to work in unreal a little bit on that project but just the guys that you meet love music as well and they're there's such a, it's such a small 
industry, and I know people say that about every like film industry and the commercial and all that stuff, but the the music industry here, like you're pretty much working with the same guys on most projects if you're working on British band bands that come through here. I mean, uh, obviously Guns N' Roses isn't British, but if you're doing like Rolling Stones or Elton John or or Ed Sheeran, like uh, the guys that you work on that you work with doing those are the exact same that you work on all the different projects. So it's, it's quite nice. So you, you kind of, you know how each other work and you get along like I've got along with all of them, which is really nice. And, uh, yeah, it's cool. You're all very, it's very passionate. It's, it's tough. You know, it's, you know, it's, I think the cooler the project, the longer the hours sometimes, but, um, I think once you hit a certain level and you're comfortable in the programs, then, those longer hours mean kind of adding more cool stuff to it and making it better instead of like when you're a junior and you're kind of doing long hours because you don't know what you're doing really. <laughs> so right. I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great kind of, uh, section of the industry to be in. Well, let's talk about your beginnings, your professional beginnings in LA, you know, going from going to school to finding this passion, something that you really love doing, and then putting it to work for you, so to speak. How did you end up with your first gig, your first professional gig, and how, where did you go from there? Yeah, I um, so I was going to school in Savannah, Georgia, and I think what I thought was, when I went to uh, Berkeley, I was on the Berkeley rowing team, and they were, you know, they're every year they're generally like national champions or in the top two or three. And I felt like that experience was very formulative in my life. And it gave me the, the mindset that I should kind of push myself to be uncomfortable in situations. And, and I felt like when I was in school, I needed to find the best studio I could to work with. And uh, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo just came out. It was all over motionographer. It was, uh, you know, a huge title sequence. And I only applied to a couple different studios and Blur was one of them. And uh, I spoke with Jennifer Miller uh, several times. I basically just, she was the, um, the manager of the graphics team there at the time. I just messaged her and I, I just showed how much, every time something good would happen, like if I won an award, or if I came out with a new piece, I would update her. And she never, she hadn't offered me a job yet. And, and, you know, these studios get hundreds of applicants a month, probably, or, you know, multiple ones a day. So how do you differentiate yourself from that? And I find that even still today, like, I think going in and meeting people is, is the best way. Like going in and if you can shake their hand and everything, that's quite a, a handy Thing to do but I couldn't so I sent her emails um, you know very polite ones very kind of like I love the work you guys do like but I I had to differentiate myself because everyone else was doing that so I created I put so much time into my projects that I would just send her updates like here here's some style frames I've done here's like an award I've made. And, and I think the, the project that really sold it for me was um, I did this Nickelodeon piece for a branding class that I had in Savannah. And it was kind of this floaty camera and this cardboard like world. And she really liked the camera movement. 
and she liked the little characters I made and uh, and yeah she she just kept asking did you do all this like is this what you did because obviously like people apply and you know it's a team of several people that do it and um, and thankfully I did do that and yeah it was just um, multiple back and forth and eventually she offered me the job and at the time I had a um, I had a, an offer to work at Man vs. Machine in London for an internship. So that was like 2012, I think, when the um, when the Olympics was happening. And unfortunately, it was unpaid. So I decided to go to L.A. and ended up in the U.K. anyway. So it was quite interesting. But, um, but yeah, I, I ended up taking that job and moving to L.A. and... I worked in their Venice office, so they're on Venice Boulevard in Abbott Kinney in LA. So like right, right in the cool, cool part of Venice, really. So best part of the beach, man. Yeah, right there. yeah, it was great. Yeah. We we had such a good time, and it was just such a very powerful, fun, and yeah, just amazing experience. Because when you're working at a studio of that caliber, all the people there. Are really talented and they're really good and I found they were always really friendly you know I, I I think that they all wanted to be there and it was like a warehouse essentially and we were sitting kind of up in the, the corner loft of that warehouse and I just was so happy to be there every day like I, I couldn't wait to go to work like I basically just used the the, the apartment that I had in a Mar Vista is like a, yeah, just a place to kind of like put keep my things and sleep but I just really wanted to be at work because it was such a great vibe and there were all these directors kind of walking around and these different movies happening and um, Tim Miller, uh, the owner still, and, and you know, the director of Deadpool and Deadpool and Terminator and, you know, several other films. Like he, he's a, he's such a nice down to earth guy and he would walk around in his, like show clients around the studio just uh, with, without any shoes on. Like he'd walk around in like shorts and a t-shirt, so casual. Like he just like, he'd like curse all the time, like very openly. He's very like, he was just like an artist's artist, you know, and he just set the entire studio up to do cool work. And, and I never felt more protected as an artist working at Blur. Like he just really wanted to make cool stuff and, and he got you whatever you needed to do that. And yeah, it was really cool. But yeah, I was there for a couple of years. I got to work on a couple Marvel films, which was a big, you know, as a, as a motion designer working in titles is like, or it was at least at the time, it was kind of the, the pinnacle, you know, that was the time when, you know, prologue was, you know, the top prologue and imaginary forces, you know, still, still very big, but they were kind of like the, you know, the promised land of title sequences and, um, yeah, Blur was getting some as well and got a chance to work on Thor, the dark world and, um, the amazing Spider-Man. I've actually had a chance to work on two different Spider-Man franchises, which has been pretty cool. But yeah, it was, it was an amazing place. I loved it. I was really sad that I, I was only there for two years. If I could have, been there longer I would have but I had this kind of opportunity to travel and I was 27 and I was like you know what I can always come back yeah I decided to to leave after two years and I'm still good friends with a lot of the people that I worked with there and I actually work with some of them still uh, you know just offset hours obviously but yeah it was um, quite a transformative experience and if if I did move back to LA at any time I would I would definitely 
love to work for them again. So. I think our audience needs to know that you may have a dog working a bone at your feet. <laughs> I do. Do you, do you want me to, I can put him in the other room actually. No, I just, I just want to quantify <laughs> the, the sound. I'm not going to say noise. I'm going to say sound yeah. that, is, that is emanating from your dog mauling something. I, I actually gave him, a, um, I gave him a bone to kind of be quiet over the, over the next 45 minutes. But, uh, <laughs> but he, he, he decided to bring it in here right next to me. So. He's at it, man. Yeah. He is so at it. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Adds another layer of fun to the show. That's all I'm saying. It, it's part of. It's all good. It's all, yeah, it's, it's all good, man. Yeah, it's part of the um, the post uh, COVID life. You know, move out to the countryside, get a dog. You know, so yeah, he he's we got him uh, about a year ago now. So he's my awesome. He's my coworker. So awesome. <laughs> yeah, you're listening to the Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives, presented by Balance. So what happened after Blur? You left. Did you go to the UK right afterwards? Is that how this whole thing transpired? Yeah, yeah. So I went to the UK right after, and I worked at a, a like a agency in Soho for a year. And the agency since kind of collapsed when I was there. So they ended up laying a bunch of people off, including myself. And it was you know, quite an intense experience because I was like, well, I, I really like living in the UK, but obviously my, I'm tied to a visa here and the company I was working at folded. So I need to find another visa. So uh, I met, I met uh, quite a few studios, but uh, luckily like territory was like the, you know, there's not many motion design companies that work in film and Territory was doing a lot of uh, UI work at the time. Well, they still do a lot of uh, futuristic user interfaces. And I contacted David, the, the owner, and went over and met him and Nick, both the owners of the studio. And we had you know, a really great discussion. Like my work that I did at, at Blur in LA really helped kind of sell me to work at their studio in London. And I did a couple freelance gigs for them. And yeah, we thought, it was a good fit, so they sponsored me. I was the first person they ever sponsored at the studio, and which is really cool. And since then, they've sponsored loads of people. So I, I, th I think I paved the way for <laughs> those other people. But uh, yeah, it was it was such a cool experience because territory was there's a real buzz in the atmosphere at that studio because they were just getting these big projects. Like they just finished Prometheus and they were working on the Avengers and they were doing, starting to get these big film projects in the studio. And it was like a core group of like four or five guys who were working there. So it was a lot different than working at Blur where there's like 150 people. So it was, yeah, it was a really special environment. Like it was a really small space. Uh, everyone is very, very talented, very driven. And I just learned so much off those guys for like the first uh, couple years. I mean, the whole four years, I learned a lot off of them. But uh, the last couple of years, I started getting lead roles with them. But yeah, the, it was uh, it was great. I was in London. I was getting to work with uh, cool clients. I was building a portfolio and I was getting to travel. It was kind of everything I could ask for, really. So uh, I felt like I was not only building like I wanted eventually to get citizenship here in the UK, which I have now through work, but I also wanted to keep building my portfolio. So there were many moments like 
I was thinking when I was applying to studios before I got the job at Territory, where I thought, well, if I don't, if I don't get a job that I'm really happy with that I feel like I'm growing at, then I, I don't feel like I can stay here anyway. Like I kind of have to look long term here, you know, a little bit. So. Uh, so yeah, Territory uh, was a great place to be. I, mean, I have lots of really close friends from there still that still work there. And yeah, there's a real kind of uh, mentality of uh, work hard, grow and push the boundaries of, of your kind of, you know, artistic and technical abilities. So usually projects would come in that like VR and 360 work was really starting to kind of gain a lot of steam about four or so years ago. Like you're, you're hearing a lot more of it in, in London. So clients would come in and say, oh, we want like a 360 video or we want a VR video for this, uh, for this film or this TV show or something to go alongside of the launch of it. And, you know, we didn't have, there weren't many people to, to ask about it. You know, a lot of people didn't, hadn't done these techniques before. So I worked on the team with Peter Zinyi and he's like, this guy was at Territory since the beginning and he incredibly gifted artist and he just kind of figured out how to build this whole pipeline and we worked on this like Batman VR experience together. But it was, you know, late nights and stuff like that. But it was just, it was exciting because you were figuring something out that not a lot of people understood how to do. So. Yeah, it was kind of the, I always felt like that was very much the ethos of territory was to kind of push, it was like a, te- it's a, te- a company that kind of visualizes tech- technology. So you have to in turn push the boundaries of the technology you're using as well to get something that looks advanced. You know, you can't just use the same kind of like setups over and over again. So yeah, it was an incredible experience. I had the chance to travel with territory and talk different conferences and with Maxon and Adobe and meet people from all over the world. And that was an amazing experience. And yeah, I just kind of continued to grow as an artist. And I felt like at Territory was when I really came into my own as an artist. I felt like at Blur, I kind of cut my teeth a bit and got an idea of like what was expected and and how to do certain tasks a bit faster by learning from other artists. But at Territory and the UK in general, they they, it's a bit different from my experience working in the States is that in the UK, everyone, they kind of expect you to do everything like design, animate, composite, the whole, the whole process. And you'll work at some studios that are like very traditional motion graphics or do like FUI, like territory and others that expect like cloth simulations and mocap and all these other different skill sets. So it's, it's very the market's smaller, so the artists are kind of asked to do a bit more. And I think that 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 variation in in responsibility was really what helped me grow to where I am today to feel confident in the types of work that I do and saying yes to clients pretty much all the time generally. So I know I can figure it out, you know, there's very few I don't think there's ever been a situation where I, I've not been able to figure something out. And over time, like you're just, you become comfortable with being uncomfortable. So, yeah. Well, let's talk about that. I want to, I want to hear about a project that went really horribly <laughs> and uh, was a total nightmare for you. But obviously on the other end, you, you must've gleaned some education out of. And then after that, you can tell me about the dream project that you had that 
was incredible. Yeah, I think um, I think generally the projects that I look back on that were the most difficult were just not as well organized. So there seems to be tends to be like budget related. So if a project is not going well, it's usually because they don't have the budget to bring on the right people or they put too much on one person's plate, like my plate, if I'm working on it, um, or there's not a producer on it, or you know, there's just multiple ways that could go wrong. I mean, obviously I think if uh, the company is not protecting the artist to protecting the artist from uh, client feedback, that's uh, quite important as well. And sometimes if there's middlemen in the process, like uh, if you're working with an agency and there's a little bit of that, uh, where you're kind of telling them something and they tell the client something, but it's slightly different kind of situation. But I've had, yeah, a few projects that haven't gone, like they always get out the door and the clients, as far as I know, is always happy with them. But the ones that go the best are generally the ones that are, I really enjoyed, there was a project I worked on a territory called Nat Geo. And that was a really cool project because that was the first project that I led a, a really large team. So I had like 15 people I was working with and it was, the client was great. They were really friendly. They were really open to our ideas and the entire, the show is based off of like, what would these technology, what would technologies look like a thousand years in the future, 10,000, a hundred thousand, a million years into the future. And it was kind of visualizing things that maybe if you go on Wikipedia had like, uh, mathematical drawings of so you didn't really know what they look like so they were open to how we interpreted that and I would just create these sketches of different um, different scenes for the from the show and try to help give artists an idea of like what the client was thinking or maybe where we could go with it and yeah it was just a very creative project we really enjoyed working with them and everything seemed to go really smoothly and i think there's not many projects that are like that but uh and also the greenwood rising projects i worked with uh loyal casper in new york and that was uh yeah that went really smoothly that was kind of a mix of history and animation and kind of like grittier kind of stylized um stylized look and i thought that that was yeah, felt very much like the type of work that I really enjoy. So I think, yeah, I think a lot of it, generally the, the longer I've been in the industry, I feel like the better the production team and the creative direction team is, the, that's the smoother the project goes for the most part. So yeah, I've been lucky quite a bit, but every once in a while there's a, a curveball. but I feel like I've, I've handled those many times and I can get out of them get out of the situation in turn in terms of like fix it if 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 i need to come in to fix things so which is okay yeah so slowly we are kind of eliminating the word covid from the show as time <laughs> goes on but but it must have had an effect on you personally and professionally uh what did that look like for you and and how did that either add value because you know for some people it was awfully detrimental and, yeah. but for others there was opportunity uh, available through a significant change in how we do business together how we create how we deliver how we receive 
how did that affect you personally? Yeah, I think uh, I think overall on my career it had a very positive effect. Um, as I was saying, I, I like to be outdoors quite a bit, and living in big cities was just kind of I thought something I had to do for the rest of my career. And I do like living in cities. I like the you know the the difference in all the different types of people and the foods and the the shows and the culture that you get from the city. But I kind of wanted to try something else out as well. And having the ability to work remotely was quite a a big help. And I also switched um, from British clients to American clients mostly, and that's been a big big help as well. And I think that. Yeah, generally it's been very helpful. I think things have changed quite a bit. Like I do miss kind of the office banter, like going into work and like chatting with people and that kind of uh, social aspect. But you know, like with anything, you have to kind of find your balance, and it's a bit of give and take. Where okay, I, well, I want to live out in the countryside, but I can't go into a studio then. You know, if you want to live out here, but if I do, if we did move back to like London or LA or something like that, then you know, you'd get that studio kind of vibe and the the camaraderie a bit more, but you'd also be trying to figure out where you're going to go on the weekends and stuff like that as well. So, I think overall it's been you know positive in terms of my work. It's opened up opportunities. It's kind of allowed us to think of what's important in life a bit more. And yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, yeah, it was just weird seeing the inside of people's homes for. <laughs> You know, the first time, like you, all these people I worked with before, you can see their like kids like crawling around on the floor behind them, and like you know, like like behind me is dog, and you just get a bit of a different view on who the people are that you've worked with in the past, and I think that kind of you have this kind of like we're all in this together kind of mentality, which which was cool, and everyone was trying to figure it out at the same time and doing their best. So I think that yeah, it turned out to be.、Um, To offer more options, but yeah, it'll be. And I think also getting to work with, you know, talk with people like you that are possibly, you know, on the other side of the world, and just having more of a global environment, which is really nice. And getting to work with animators and designers from from everywhere now. I mean, you had we had the opportunity to do that in in、uh, big cities, but. Your boundaries and time zones don't inhibit you as much as they used to, which is which is positive. So, yeah. And how have you taken advantage of that? As far as you know, being able to pick talent or work with—I mean, I know you're 100% freelance now, but you know, you still put teams together and have to assemble projects, and and you don't do everything on your own, I assume. So, how does that play into the fact that everybody is virtual? And、uh, you can work with the best people in the world, not just in your zip code, and that offers a lot of diversity and look and feel. And and、uh, as far as capabilities go, I mean, it's limitless at this point. So, how has that enhanced your projects and and your work overall? Yeah, I think it's.、Uh, I think the key the key word from、uh, the changes over the last couple of years has been trust. So you start to you trust people a lot more. So they're not always on your schedule. You can't talk to them, you know, every and check in with them every hour or so. But you know, you know what a full day's work looks like. And I think the ability to 
have the chance to, you know, I get to work with people from all over the States, which is amazing and different directors that I never thought I'd have a chance to work with before because I never really considered going remote freelance. So yeah, it's pretty cool. And I think that also with the opening of like the, I, I haven't done loads of NFT stuff, but there are people that do it, but there's a lot more collaboration between artists now. And if you're you know, on social media, people will contact you and artists that you've, you know, just seen their work before will contact you to ask if you want to be part of this project or something like that. So it's, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been nice. I think there's a lot more variation in the types of work you can do and the types of people you can work with since then. You're listening to The Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance. All right, so you got to start a little later in life. You know, you were going down a trajectory and then took a right turn. What kind of advice do you have for people that are interested in uh, being a creative professional in some fashion or another? Uh, people that may not be happy in their current current vocation and and are looking to make a change, you, you know, you, you switch gears and, uh, and, and came out doing what you love doing most. Uh, so this would be a question for both, you know, young people just starting out and maybe uh, somebody who's not so young, who's just sitting in a career that they're not happy with and, and they want to do something different. Yeah, I think, uh, I think I was really lucky to be in a place in my, well, still uh, in my 20s where I didn't have a lot of responsibility. I, I didn't, don't have kids. I don't have, uh, I did have some loans. My parents thankfully helped with that. And I think I had a good place to try something else. But the, what I'd say advice wise is to, to be comfortable with being uncomfortable because it's such a, our industry changes so much. Like when I was starting out, it was like, after effects only animation you know grungy textures and kind of paint splats and all that stuff and it's changed so much now that you have to learn different programs you have to constantly evolve over over time and people are being asked to know many different things to be kind of a generalist in this industry so love to learn yeah be okay with being uncomfortable and be a be cool to work with. I think that your demeanor and personality and how flexible you are as a, as a person is really tested in the creative industry. So be easygoing about it. You know, everyone's kind of in the same boat for projects. So if you're, yeah, if you have a, if you're chill, pretty chilled out and like adversity and like to overcome adversity, then I think it's a great place to be. Um, take the leap if you're really passionate about it. I think I am so happy that I I changed careers when I was 25 because now I'm almost 37 and I'm having, I've had the chance to kind of evolve my career and it's given me the chance to like travel across the world. And I met my wife here in London. I wouldn't have had the chance to do that before. I've, I like the design industry has given me a great life and had the chance to meet a lot of great people as well. So I think, if it's something that you think that you'd love to do, take the time and focus on it. Take an hour out of your schedule every day. Just get into the program, take some, uh, learn some 
tutorials. And once you know the, the programs well enough, just like at a base level, just try to make some stuff on your own. And that's when the, the gears really start turning a lot and you start learning and understanding, ask questions to people who you admire, um, find artists that you love. I used to message G-Monk at the time when I was when I was younger and I messaged people as well when I was, I did a like a 30 day daily frame in like 2012, like before, you know, Beeple was like, a massive uh, name like he is today. And and I ended up, you know, having the chance to work with these people on different projects. And it's, uh, yeah, just reach out to people, ask questions and yeah, just, it's a very competitive industry, but you need to, um, yeah, try to separate yourself somehow. And, and I think working hard and being consistent is a great way to do that as well. How did the speaking part of your life start because you've now been to these events and you seem to be uh one of the guys doing that thing <laughs> i uh it it was i was actually i was at territory and they needed someone to um well the first one was go go to moscow and speak at a cg conference in moscow in december which yeah it was a pretty wild experience it was for for maxon and territory had a really good relationship with maxon yeah, I, I was, uh, I think my love of traveling and love of exploring kind of helped. And I was like, oh, great. Like, get a chance to talk about animation and some projects that we worked on at Territory and also get a chance to see Moscow and like go visit the Red Square. And and yeah, it was, uh, especially during Christmas, it was amazing. And I just love, I think the, the background of my parents being teachers really kind of helped influence my love of teaching and explaining things and I had, yeah, I got the chance to go to Moscow. I, I spoke at SIGGRAPH and met some great people there. But I, I like to, I think when you do these kinds of talks, it, it gives a certain status as like someone who's an expert in their field. And, and I love getting emails and messages from people asking like, hey, that was cool. Like, how do I do this? Or how to do that? Or what do you recommend me doing? Like like kind of like life advice sometimes and I always felt like I liked helping people that way I liked giving advice if if they thought it was helpful you know and and getting to interact with people like I that's one thing I miss most about um like life before uh, COVID was the interaction I had day-to-day -day with the producers and the the other artists like I'd say I'm I'm much more um I get a lot more work done now that I'm at home <laughs> all the time and I have, you can like craft your own schedule, but I miss the the social aspect of that. And I think doing those talks was a really big part of that and giving back to the community a bit and showing, kind of lifting the curtain on some of these big projects and being like, actually, it's not, not that fan. We didn't do anything that fancy for this. You know, it's not some like crazy simulation or anything. It's just like, you just do put a couple of these things together and anyone can do it. So it's, it's more about like the thought process behind it, I guess, you know? So yeah, that was a cool, those are cool when I get to do those, so. All right, my final question is, you can no longer do motion graphics, but you have to find something to do. I mean, it could just be riding your bike, I suppose, but if you couldn't do what you're doing, what would you want to be doing? Um, I, it's, this is a, good, it's a very good question, actually. I, uh, when I, a couple, 
a year ago, uh, so I lived in Cornwall. Um, I live in Cornwall now, but I was living with my in-laws over lockdown in their house. And it was a, you know, we all had our own little space and everything, which is good. But every day I would go to the, um, the bakery and I would go there at like seven o'clock in the morning before work started. And I would buy pasties there, which are like these Cornish, like they're essentially like the, the OG hot pocket. They're really nice. And, uh, I would go there, I'd buy like bread and scones and stuff for everyone for like the next few days. And I became really good friends with them. And I think since I was like working freelance hours, like I was starting to work around like 11 o'clock UK time, they always, they thought maybe I was unemployed, but they offered me a job to work in the bakery one summer. I had a good year of freelance. Like I, I, you know, I had, I was doing okay that year. I, I seriously considered like taking a couple months off and working in the bakery for a couple months because I thought, oh, it'd be like nice and social and stuff and and started getting into making like sourdough bread and stuff in my spare time over lockdown as well, which I still do. But I think uh, I think working with my hands, working in the bakery would be a lot of fun. I don't like mornings, so that could be a difficult uh, issue. But uh, yeah, that, I think I think working at that bakery would be would be a good option. You sound like my friend Rich Reese. He's all about tartine. <sighs> he did. He went to work in a bakery yeah. in uh, near Nashville for like a week <laughs> to learn how to make sourdough bread. Oh yeah, and you know make it really well. Yeah. So you guys are right on the same. Yeah, I, that's pretty. I fun. know how he feels. I know how he feels. <laughs> well, Nick, it was super fun talking to you. Really appreciate your time today and sharing your stories and and your professional career and uh, wishing you all the best. Have fun with your life, man. Great. Sounds like you got, you built a good thing. Yeah, thanks a lot, Mark. Yeah, it's a, I really appreciate you reaching out. And yeah, it was, it was fun just kind of reflecting on the last few years and the career. And yeah, if you ever need anything, just let me know. Cheers, man. Thank you very much, Mark. It was a real pleasure. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, mine too, man. Take care All of right. yourself, brother. You too. Bye-bye. Cheers. If you enjoyed the Pure Now show, you can check out more episodes at balancestudio.tv or anywhere fine podcasts are broadcast. Pure Now is produced and engineered by Hai Ha Dang and directed by Dong Wun Guan. Thanks so much for watching.